Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Your host, Andrew Donaldson. This is Herd Tell. Uh, it's Herd Tell. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you so much for joining us on this Monday, December the 27th, the Christmas Hangover Edition. We hope your holiday weekend, if you celebrated, was great. We hope you spent some time with your family, wherever you and yours are across the street or around the world. We hope you are well. You are well fed. And we're merry and bright throughout the season. I know we had a great weekend doing some family stuff and some travel, and we hope all of you did as well. Uh, going to have a little bit of a theme to the show today. We're going to talk a lot about speech, a lot about words, a lot about things that matter when they are said correctly or incorrectly. Um, great guest today, Sarah Stuck. She has a great piece out in elections-daily.com. Our friends over at Elections Daily, uh, Eric Cunningham and crew, they do great, great work. Fascinating piece, 20 American quotes that shook the world. Some you may think of, some you may not have heard of, some you'll know uh, the situation from history, but you may not know the actual quote involved. She's going to be on a little later to break that all down with us. And we're going to talk some quotable quotes, as Jeopardy would have called it back in the day, uh, with Sarah Stook. Looking forward to that. Also, going to talk about a journalism professor who is writing and I think has some good points to bring up about how the media deals with dif- disinformation. We always hear disinformation and fake news and these things. Uh, he does a little bit of policing his own, talking about how journalism and news media needs to do a better job of presenting and dealing with disinformation. We'll get to that in a minute. We're going to end up with a great holiday story uh, from over the weekend from a very famous person who put their money where their mouth is. But first, let's talk about free speech a little bit. Um In the United States of America, we still have free speech for the moment. It's always under attack and something that we have to be mindful of. But for the moment, we still have it. Uh, We need to be very careful when we talk about rights. Free speech is a right. You have a right to free speech. You can say within some very limited things inside of the law, you can say pretty much anything you want to. That's free speech. The problem is there's too many people who are confusing their right to free speech with wanting the right to have a consequence-free world because of their speech. There's a lot of folks that just think they can say whatever they want to, but if anybody pushes back on it, then their free speech is being violated. No, that's not how free speech works. Let's talk about this for a second. You can say pretty much whatever you want. The problem is everybody else gets to say what they want as well. And let's back up for a second, because free speech is endued in the Constitution. It's protected by the government. But you individually 
have to protect what it is you present to people. You have a right to say whatever you want to, as long as it's not in the criminal code to not do so. You know, things like slander and libel and things like this that are actionable in civil court, sometimes criminally, depending on the situation. You can say whatever you want, but you're not free from a consequence-free society. We have a lot of people on social media that right now think their right includes not having any consequences for what they do. They don't want a right for free speech because here's the thing with free speech is you have to respect everybody else's right to free speech. Otherwise, it's not a right. If it doesn't apply to everybody, it's not a right. A lot of folks seem to think that free speech is something that should be consequence free. They should be able to go on social media or go on video or go on wherever and say whatever they want and have no consequences. That's not how it works because everybody else has free speech as well. They have a right to say something back. If you're an employee, your rights may be even further restricted because of your employer. You can still say whatever you want, but your employer may decide they don't want you to be employed anymore because what you're saying does not represent them well. That's not a violation of your rights. That's a consequence. The same thing for government employees or if you're in the military, your free speech has some limits on it based on what you've already agreed to as far as your employment and or enlistment. Folks have this thing going right now where they want to say anything they want online. And then if they get any pushback at all, they start screaming and crying and whining that their rights are being violated and their free speech is being violated. And then they are being canceled. And uh, hold on a second. If you're saying something provocative, most of the time, that individual knows well and good that what they're saying is provocative. So if they're saying something provocative that they know is provocative and they're putting it on social media or some other platform on purpose, it's because they want people to hear what they're saying that is provocative. They want the attention. And then when they get it, they want to turn around and say, oh, that's not fair. No, you asked for it. You ordered that attention. You need to pick it up at the window and go about your day with it. That's how these things work. We do not live in a consequence-free society, nor would you want to, but too many people want to. Freedom involves give and take. Having rights, believe it or not, despite the way the nomenclature sounds, also means some give and take. Because again, if, a, if it isn't a right for everybody, all the time, under all circumstances, it's no longer a right. You have a right to free speech. You do not have a right to not have consequences for that speech because your speech may upset other people. It may infringe on other people. It may be outside the societal bounds and norms. You're not going to get thrown in jail for it. You're not going to have those types of consequences because you have freedom of speech. You may get shouted down in public. You may get called names. You may get in trouble with your employer. You may get in trouble with your family members and loved ones. That's not violating your free speech. That's consequences. We need to have more of an adult society where we understand that consequences comes with actions. For some reason, that send button, that tweet button, that post button on Facebook makes people feel like they're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And when they smash it and send stuff off, they seem to think that just goes into some alternate mirror universe where it can't touch their real life. That's not accurate either. That's not real life. 
The world is integrated now. If you have a social media account of any kind, you are a global citizen. Anybody in the world can come find you within you know, a few restrictions, depending on what kind of an account you have. But again, that account is something that you can control. You can control your own privacy. Nobody on social media got on there without clicking a terms of consent agreement. Remember, that's that little box we've been talking about. You agreed to it. You agreed to Facebook's terms. You agreed to Twitter's terms. You agreed to Instagram's terms, whatever you're on. And part of that means you are responsible for what you post. You're also responsible for how you act in public. You're also responsible for how you treat people in public. And you just have to assume in these modern times, if you are in public and you do something that's going to get attention, just go ahead and assume somebody is videoing it with their phone. That's just the world we live in. So if you have a really bad moment in public, there's a very good chance it's going to go viral. Did they violate your free speech? No, they just recorded what you did. I understand there's some privacy things, and I don't like people that just blindly send out stuff on social media recording people. I don't like it, but that's the world we live in. But then you can't turn around and say, well, my free speech is being violated because I said a bad word or I said something that's not socially acceptable and people push back. No, they have free speech, too. They have a right to push back as well. What you're asking for is a consequence-free environment, and that doesn't exist. So before you start complaining about your free speech being violated because somebody online pushed back and said what you did was dumb or stupid or wrong, that's not violating your free speech. That's practicing free speech. It's not clean, it's not messy, and it's not easy. But freedom is not supposed to be clean or not messy or easy. If it is, it's probably not freedom at all. So have a little bearing, mind your manners, respect people in a public forum, and you usually don't have a whole lot of problems with these things. But the folks that want attention, the folks that want to be paid attention to, that want to do look at me and do outrageous things to get the look at me or to go along with the latest trends to go look at me. And then when people look at them and start finding things they don't like about them or some of their own untoward mess, you don't get to turn around and cry that you're being violated. You asked for that. Enjoy it. Be proud of it. Or maybe you just don't believe in free speech as much as you say you do. More hotel right after this. On this December 27th, uh, as we continue to deal with the hangover from Christmas, I want to bring your attention and continue to talk about speech for a minute. Uh, Jeff Jarvis, he's a professor at the City University of New York. He's written many, many books uh, on his blog, Wither the News, uh, that you can find on Medium. Uh, he has some interesting thoughts about misinformation. Now, we talk a lot on this show about turning down the news media noise and the news cycle noise and these things. Um, and it's interesting because what is all that noise accomplishing is something we keep talking about over and over again. Is it, is there something underneath it to get to, or is it just noise for the sake of noise? Uh, he has some interesting thoughts coming from obviously the, the left side of the spectrum, the progressive side of the spectrum, but talking about broadly, uh, disinformation. And we've heard about 
fake news and disinformation and this and that. But he says something interesting here. And I'm quoting from uh, Jeff Jarvis on his blog, Wither the News here. Underlying the moral panic about the Internet and its argues is the assumption that if we could just turn off Facebook or Twitter, everything would be okay. That is to assume that society was just fine before new technologies came along. That, of course, is delusional blindness. Blindness to racism, inequality, misogyny, lack of empathy and understanding, greed and hatred that have plagued this nation and all peoples for generations and centuries. We hide behind many excuses to place blame on others, concocting syndromes like filter bubbles and echo chambers as classic examples of third-person effect. The assumption that everyone else is vulnerable to lies and hate, but not us. We're fine. Listen, please, to Michael Pang Peterson's research which finds that we do maintain echo chambers in real life. And the problem is that the internet busts them, exposing people who already hate to the objects that the, of their hate. Read to Alex Bruns's exhaustive compilation of research in his book, Are Filter Bubbles Real? Which points to the conclusion that they are not. Let us ground our discussion of what's wrong with society and the interventions we create in empirical research, not assumptions. And he goes on down to conclude Disinformation is real, yes. It is the tool of malign actors, true. But it is also an excuse to put off painful self-examination. Right under our noses is history's greatest tools for listening, the internet and social media. And by concentrating only on their ills and woes, we forfeit the opportunity to hear those who enrich the public conversation. I've harped on this before, that journalism is the conversation. And when journalism turns their back on the voices they have ignored, they have only extended the harm that journalism has done to so many communities and delay the reparations deserved. Journalism fancies itself a reflection of society, but its mass media mirror is cracked. It leaves out huge swaths of society. It presents a dark and dystopian view of the world, but especially of life in those communities it fails to represent. It makes its money, just as the internet does thus far, on the corruption of attention that collars its reality. We can build something better. And he goes on to talk about some of his suggestions for building something better, some that I find interesting, some that I disagree with. But I think he has an excellent point here. We've come, the term doom scrolling has come into the parlance because of social media and because of the news cycle media, which is always doom and gloom and disasters and things like this. Um, A feel good story will go viral, a hurricane will give you a week. You know, bad news sells. It always has sold. That's just part and parcel for how the media works. And bad news is important because, you know, breaking events, we need to know about them. But too many folks and too many business models feed into doom scrolling, just doom and gloom. And this is bad and keeping people engaged and outraged and cranked up all the time. I think it's important to understand that if we're going to talk about things like journalism and things like news media, that we focus on things like we do here on Herd Tell of information. Turn down the noise, get to the information you need, discern our times. If you're just feeding your fears nonstop, you're not in a healthy place. Journalism is uh, populated not by automatons, meaning like robots, or by you know saints. They're just normal people like the rest of us. They have their fobbles and human failings. And part of the problem with holding journalism up as something more than just people trying to do their job, and it is an important job, and it's an honorable profession when done correctly, is we start applying all these layers of stuff on top of it that makes them as if they are immune to these sorts of things. And they're not. Our news media is very susceptible to this stuff, especially. 
It's one reason we talk about dealing with local journalists, dealing with investigative journalists, because journalists that are just on TV or have a platform also have the side project of making sure they keep their platform in business. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just something you need to factor into the information you're giving, that you need to factor into the information that you're getting. If it's a TV show, it's a TV show first and journalism and information second. Has to be that way, or they'd never make money. They wouldn't be on the air. Something to think about. We don't need to just doom scroll all the time. We don't need to spend an ordinary amount of time thinking all is lost constantly. And it would be good for our journalists and for our news media to do that themselves. They need to kind of back up a little bit and remember that they have responsibilities as well. Us, the consumers, need to remember that we not only have responsibility, but we have a little bit of power here. We can't complain about it if we keep watching it and we keep watching the advertising for it because that tells them that what they're doing has a market and they'll keep doing it. So journalism has a mirror for itself. Journalism is a mirror for us. They're going to sell us the product we buy for the most part. So before you just go off half cock complaining about news media and journalism, remember that you're helping to feed the beast and then decide if there's something you should change yourself first before complaining about the media for the 11 billionth time. More Heard Tell right after this. Back to Hertel Show. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're going back international. We're going to have fun with this. A little bit of history, a little bit of uh, quotable quotes, as they would say on Jeopardy. Our friend Sarah Stuck uh, from over in England. How are you, ma'am? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Uh, thrilled to have you. She writes a lot in the Mallard. Uh, and this particular piece is from our friends over at Elections Daily. Uh, Eric Cunningham and them, they do great work. We've had them on the show before, and we will continue to work with them. But I, I love this because it's, it's what I like to do because it intersects news and history and quotes and things like this. But you're, you're writing about the quotes that shook the world, American quotes. Uh, what was your criteria when you started to look through this? Because obviously there's a lot of presidential speeches and other affluent Americans. There's a lot of like, you know, things that have gone into the pulp culture realm. So what was your criteria when you went to put these together? Well, I limited it to the 20th and 21st century because A, it has more of a spread with, you know, with radio, television and social media. And also it's a lot easier to narrow it down because if I had to add quotes from before, I wouldn't necessarily say we would have had the same impact. Maybe in America it would, but definitely not worldwide. What is it, um, just generally speaking, before we get into the specific instance you do, uh, because you are in England, what, what is it usually that cuts through to an overseas audience from America? Because we get wrapped up in the day-to-day stuff and kind of more the, the silliness and the politics. These are big ticket items that burn through. This is like, you know, 9-11 and things like this. Uh, Nixon resigning was one of them. What kind of events do you see that burn through the media and it becomes a worldwide thing, not just an American thing? Well, I think it will definitely only be the big stuff, unless you're like me and you pay a lot of attention. For example, Nixon resigned, and my parents can't remember that. 
But Kennedy, I talked to my nana. She remembers the Kennedy death. I said, oh, everyone loved him, etc. And obviously 9-11. But so I'd say it's only the major things. But Trump's definitely been one where everybody remembers it. You know, my parents don't follow American politics particularly quick closely but you know they remember stuff Trump said and then they say why is Biden so quiet so definitely newer with the newer medium and I think Trump helps that because he was just reported on like no other president ever has been yeah I'm talking to Sarah Stuck uh let's start with one that is famous in history but it's just on the fringe of living memory getting ready to pass and we just had the anniversary of it uh, FDR's Day of Infamy speech, of course, at, uh, December 7th, Pearl Harbor. We're almost out of the living folks that can remember that. We're, we're down to just a handful of the veterans of the attack, people that can remember it. When it's something like this, that it's still in living memory, but it's, it's in that gray area where it's almost passed into history. Um, how do you manage the impact of something like that? Because everybody remembers Day of Infamy, perhaps, but it is going into that area where we don't have people that's going to remember it firsthand anymore, and it's going to be a piece of history now. I think it's definitely, if we go into the pop culture realm, if you think of the Michael Bay film, Pearl Harbor, obviously, you know, it's not all about the actual events. It's the whole fictional romance story. But I think that's probably where we will remember it from. And I mean, I don't, we didn't really learn about it at school. I assume that you guys probably do. So I think it's it's hard to get away from it. Well, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a generation gap too, because like my, you know, when I was growing up, my grandparents in that generation, everybody knew a war two veteran. But like my children, they never got to meet my grandparents. So they don't really know any World War II veterans. So there's definitely a generation jump there when it comes to something like, you know, Pearl Harbor. Yeah. I mean, again, it's not something that maybe my grandparents, I have two grandparents left. Uh, both, I wouldn't say particularly remember Pearl Harbor. They were probably a wee bit on the young side. So I definitely think it's more, I think it's definitely here it will be fewer people remembering it mainly because it happened in america but also because that generation probably doesn't remember it as well as maybe people born in the 30s did on your end and obviously that was you know pearl harbor monumental world war ii it's been called a cataclysm it was worldwide what about some of the quotes that you talk about and speeches that shook the world but they weren't uh war related uh, you talk about something like Nixon resigning. Uh, talk about that one, why that one kind of burns through as one of the quotes that really hit home. It's quite fascinating, really, because we, in the past few years, we've had quite a few prime ministers resign. Margaret Thatcher, Tony Blair, David Cameron, Theresa May, likely Boris Johnson, because he is not very popular at the moment. But you've only had one president who's ever resigned. And to me, that's like insane. It's like you guys have had eight presidents who died in office. We only had one prime minister who was assassinated. It's quite a big difference. But I think it's sort of, in that, I think Kennedy's assassination broke America's innocence, but Nixon's resignation torpedoed the respect and the trust that America had with its politicians. You will still get people going to see presidents when they come to places, but you won't have the crowds of the Kennedy days of Eisenhower and anyone before that. Before then, the president sort of was a hero. Kennedy's affairs were covered up. Everything bad about presidents were covered up, but now we get everything down and dirty. And I think that's partially thanks to Nixon. 
because of him, it broke the barrier of innocence that America saw. I mean, Ford got hammered for um, pardoning Nixon, whether it was the right thing or not, is you know consigned to different consensus. You also talk about kind of that little before Nixon, but the same general generation thing. Um, you had RFK announcing Martin Luther King Jr. being shot as one of them. And of course, we know that in in due course, right after uh, RFK himself was assassinated, those those are always kind of linked in the American consciousness. But that's that's part of that generation you're talking about where where, of course, we have mass media now we have TV now national media at that time period in the late 60s. Uh, these things all combine to really make those kind of searing events that go into people's minds. And it really did show people it's like, look, these are not just glossy news headlines. This this is real life stuff. And that loss of innocence you were talking about. Yeah. Why did you go with the RFK one uh, announcing MLK? Was it because of his own assassination or was it just because his stature and being Kennedy's brother? Wh- why do you think that one hit so well? Well, he did his speech when he was in Indianapolis, and it was one of the few major US cities who didn't see major riots after that happened. And it was credited, and he was credited with calming their nerves and creating the peace. And I think it was just, I mean, it was pretty much off the cuff. And that's pretty impressive because it's a beautiful speech. Yes. And I don't think we've had many presidents or presidential candidates who are brilliant speakers, but Robert Kennedy had a gift. I think his brother did as well, but maybe even more so with Bobby, because I think he was a lot more self-assured on the issue of civil rights compared to JFK. It sort of took him a bit of time, whereas Kennedy was straight on that. So I think that self-assurance and just how he delivered it in the moment, because these people he was speaking to, they didn't know that had happened. Again, like you said, this is the day before, you know, CNN wouldn't, wasn't found until 1980 with the whole 24-hour news. There was no social media, no internet. He was their first line of defense their first he was first to say that had happened yeah yeah you mentioned him a minute ago uh you also gerald ford made the list uh president that's kind of got a a bit of a mixed legacy you know everybody remembers he kind of fell on his sword over the nixon air he kind of gets that reputation people know him as a good and decent man but they don't really remember a lot about his presidency himself uh, but you put in his his quote about my fellow Americans, our long national nightmare is over. Just set that up for folks that maybe have never heard that one or don't remember, because we don't talk about Gerald Ford as much as other presidents, because he was. it seemed like he was there for a cup of coffee and that was it. Uh, but talk about that quote and its significance and what was going on around that time. Well, obviously Nixon had just resigned and Gerald Ford had taken over. So prior to Gerald Ford being vice president, Spiro Agnew was forced to resign. So Republican leaders met and said, okay, we'll give you Gerald Ford because everybody likes him. He's one we can all agree on. So obviously when Nixon resigned, it was down to Gerald Ford. And Gerald Ford was saying, I'm going to heal the nation. It's going to be different. Which was, I don't think it was a lie necessarily because, okay, it didn't happen. But I generally thought he wanted to keep the peace and thought he was maybe going to be able to, which is why he definitely crossed wires when it came to pardoning Nixon because on the one hand it saved the nation from a long towering investigation but also let Nixon get off scot-free which I think a lot of people didn't particularly like and to this day people are a lot more forgiving of Ford for what he did but I imagine back then they weren't that happy about it yeah um in the moment compared to the 
2020 hindsight of history, Ford's gotten a little bit better deal than he probably got in the moment. We're talking to Sarah Stuck. Uh, we've been talking about some past incidences from her article in elections-daily.com, 20 American quotes that shook the world. Uh, we're going to take a quick break more with her, and we're going to talk about some recent stuff. Quite a lot of them made her list, uh, recent events and recent politicians, and we'll cover that on her tell right after this. Back on Hertel, I'm Andrew Donaldson. We're talking to Sarah Stook from over in England. Her piece that I just adore these kind of little history nuggets, uh, 20 American quotes that shook the world. We've been talking about some of the ones in the past, uh, December 7th, Pearl Harbor, you know, Nixon, RFK, MLK. You had quite a few of these that were pretty much in the modern era, though, didn't you? Yeah, I thought it's definitely important because these obviously came with a time where media was quicker we information came quickly but we think of history as long ago but as I was saying to my parents the other day in history class I would have learned about stuff that they were alive during so you know history is anything that's happened before this moment it's stuff that kids and grandkids will learn about so I think it was equally important to discuss what's happening today than in our grandparents generation. Have one of the more famous ones of the last generation or so, uh, Reagan telling Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Of course, it was a couple of years later before that wall actually came down. But it's certainly in European history and in the world order. Uh, talk about that for a moment, because that, that's another one that was real recent history. And now it's not. It's been a generation since then. You know, you know my, father, years. my oh, father was a guard briefly on the Berlin Wall. Oh, really? Because, so, yeah. yeah, he was stationed in Germany, he's ex-military. Definitely more European history. Obviously, the Cold War affected the whole world, but it was sort of the European theatre, apart from, you know, babe, pigs invasion, etc. And it, first of all, it was a great soundbite because it's so easy to remember. Nobody else remembers the rest of the speech. They just remember that little bit, which I think is important. You don't need to know all the details. You just need to remember that specific bit. Reagan was one of the best communicator presidents, mainly down to his acting history. So when he said it, and he said it with such conviction and sincerity, that he was basically, he was talking to Gorbachev face to face, telling these East Berliners, you know, one day, hopefully you will be free. And it's one of the most remembered quotes because it signified sort of the end of the Cold War. But would a president have spoken that bluntly and maybe even that kindly 20 years earlier, it signified foreign relations that came under Gorbachev. Yeah. I, and then, of course, for, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, that was a big deal. But the next one that's chronologically on your list, uh, 1998, Bill Clinton. Uh, that's a meaningful one for me because 1998 was the first election I got to vote in. I turned 18 that year. I graduated high school that year. That was kind of my introduction to politics was the Clinton years. So I know this one really well, but the, uh, the now I would say this one's infamous more than famous, but the, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. And he's pointing right at the camera and everybody knew at the moment he was lying. And we know for a fact now that he was indeed lying, 
but that was one of the quotes that hit your list. Uh, explain that one to folks. If I want to make you feel very old, I was born in 1998. You so are it was not a Jan- that, Was that quote January? <laughs> Uh, well, it was in the deposition, so it was released after he actually said it. So, yeah, because it was I a was videotape. Of, so yeah, it I'm was a videotape deposition, if I remember correctly. But, yeah, that that is not helping you telling me that, though. But go <laughs> ahead. Why why is that one so meaningful? Because you know we talked a little bit about Nixon breaking innocence. Uh, whatever innocence was left to the office of the presidency, the, this probably finished it off. Yeah. Well. It's because it's such a pop culture reference. I don't know if any of your viewers have watched the latest um, series about it, Broken Crime Story. I do recommend it's a really good series because it's just so memeable. You can just say, if it was on The Simpsons, for example, I mean, it might have been, I don't know. Everybody would recognise it because it's, my generation certainly knows about Bill Clinton. And I think it's down to the Me Too era. When it happened, Monica Lewinsky was basically a sacrificial lamb at the altar of the media. Liberal feminists like Gloria Stein basically called her a slut and said all sorts of horrid things about her. She was 22 years old. She was just about my age when that happened. Yet they were horrific about her. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she had an affair with a married man. And I'm not going to say she was completely blameless. But he was, she, he was almost her father and she was an intern. He was the president of the United States. And it's more impactful now in the Me Too movement because people are starting to realize how wrong Bill Clinton actually was and how Monica Lewinsky was definitely more of a victim than she was any of the names that they called her when it originally happened. Yeah, it was, it was an ugly uh, piece of history. Um, and then not even two years later, we had another ugly for a different reason. And it made your list, but um, the 20, the 2000 election between uh, George W. Bush and Al Gore, uh, I don't know that a lot of people know this quote. They know what it's about, but I don't think this is really well known in the state. So you let me set it up for you. But it's the Supreme Court decision. Uh, and I'll quote it. The judgment of the Supreme Court of Florida is reversed and the case is remanded for further proceedings not inconsistent with this opinion. You did the quote, which I don't think maybe people still to this day haven't heard it, but what that quote meant uh changed a whole lot of things in a big hurry didn't it well i thought it was such an important piece of history but there was no specific quote that really you know everyone remembers i thought you know the best one is the supreme court decision and there's a really good um documentary about it called it was however many votes was in it and it's about the cubans in florida and how it influenced the election that is a very good documentary if you ever get around to it you know, it was even more contentious than 2016 election when Hillary won the popular vote, but Trump got the Electoral College because it went down to the Supreme Court. I mean, I'm not sure. I don't think it's particularly easy to get cases in the front of the Supreme Court, but I think that's definitely understandable that that did. Was it going to be a continuation of the sort of the Clinton dynasty or was there going to be a resurgence with the Bush Republicans? And certainly I think it was down to Gore. He sort of, cut himself off from Clinton he disapproved of the affair he wanted to be his own man had he piggybacked on Clinton's popularity he probably would have won but he didn't choose to do that and that was his folly yeah and then just another year later another one that made the list uh 9-11 uh George Bush announcing that 
man, you got you got three of your twenty within about a four year span of time. That's a lot of history jammed in tight. And of course, we know uh, 9-11, the attacks of September eleventh, uh, world changing stuff. Why did you go with this particular quote out of you know several pieces of pop culture things that have lived on from there? Because I think well. Again, sorry to make you feel loud. I was only three when this happened, so I have like no memory of it. My mum was at home and my dad was working away in, I want to say he was in Sudan, so he found out about it that way. That I don't think any event in my lifetime has impacted the world like 9 11 has. The wars, everything that came with it, Patriot Act, it's such an amazingly horrific event that has changed so much in the world and George Bush he was at the height of his popularity after that had happened whatever you think about the man he handled it very well as well as one can in such horrendous circumstances his quote about America being attacked because you know my parents my grandparents they lived through the IRA generation in Britain up until the 1990s and I mean it still happens sporadically you had attacks it was expect people lived with it bomb threats was on mainland soil in america yes you had maybe the oklahoma bombing but such attacks and three thousand people in one attack is terrific about they thought it would be higher i remember watching video clips and think well it could be ten thousand people dead and it's i just think it's such a monumental we just passed a 20 year anniversary monumental event that it had to be in there because yeah. america was under attack yeah, because well, yeah, it was a terrorist attack. Yeah, and I, I was on active duty military at the time, so I promise you that our lives changed in a big hurry. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm talking like I saw the second tower hit, and by the time I got up the stairs and got my uniform on, the phone's ringing, and we're, you know, we're we're off doing it by that afternoon, and the world changed in a hurry. So definitely that one. And um, finally, to kind of wrap this up, uh, her piece, Sarah Stuke, we're talking to, this is, this is so much fun for people that do culture and politics to kind of take a minute and go through the history. 20 American quotes that shook the world. It's in elections-daily.com, which is a great website, good friends of ours. Um, one that has definitely been the predominant background noise for the last five, six years now. Uh, you had Hillary Clinton conceding to Donald J. Trump, the presidency. Uh, which he won in uh, 2016. Uh, it sure changed the discourse. It sure changed a lot of how people viewed politics. It changed how the media covers politics. But let's get your perspective. We've already established you're young and I'm old. So you tell me from over yonder to where we are. Uh, why did you pick that one? Why is it so meaningful? Well, it was my first year of university. It was in my second month of university. I was 18. So if I was American, it would have been my first fair. I'd only... The Brexit vote was, was my second ever vote, was only a few months prior to that. 2015, obviously, he announced it. Everyone was like, okay, it's just a bit of an attention seeker. Ha, 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 la, la, la. That's what I think one would expect, you know. I daily, vaguely knew who Donald Trump was. I'm sure he's definitely more not popular with the Americans. I think I'd heard of him from friends. So everyone thought it was a bit of a joke. It was going to be, you know, Jeb Bush or Ted Cruz. And then he started to win and everyone was like, oh, this is completely different. So I remember election night very, very well. It was obviously, we stayed up really late because massive time difference. It was about five, six o'clock before I went to bed. Uh, you know, we all went to, had a massive load of us went to a bar. And when Florida was announced, like the whole room was like, we had like these Russian guys cheering and then these sort of these 
lib- clearly liberal girls in shock. Everyone was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I wish I'd bet on it now because after Brexit happened, I thought, you know, I think he's got a chance. I wish I'd bet on it. I would have made some money. Sadly, I didn't. But everyone was just so shocked. I mean, Donald Trump, who did politics as a hobby versus Hillary Clinton, who has been in public life for, I mean, as long as he has, but for different reasons. And it was just, was it a break in the establishment? Was it, oh, it could have been, because everyone expected it to make history. Hillary Clinton had a giant glass ceiling that was going to shatter in her New York hub. I still think I'm still in shock that he actually won five years later. Yeah. And I think probably America is as well. But obviously mm. that has changed with the election of Mr. Biden. Yeah. Um, I, I joke about it because I was in hospital from August through November that year. And I joke, I was like, man, I came off a ventilator in the Chicago Cubs during the World Series and Donald Trump's president. What have you people <laughs> been doing? A little facetiously. I was I was watching most of that on TV. But yeah, it was it was a monumental thing. It was a surprising thing. And it's been I think for people to do news and politics like we do, it's kind of been the dominant thing for the last five or six years. So it's definitely meaningful. Um, Sarah Stuck, this is fantastic. I love this piece. Uh, thank you for writing it and for sharing your perspective on it. It's always fun to get our overseas friends to give a little, little distance view of us Americans and how we can be a little silly with things. But this is a great little chunk of history. Let people know where they can follow you and find your work and uh, get more from you in the future. Um, so my Twitter is Sarah underscore unders, uh, underscore Stuke, S-T-O-O-K. Um, you can find me, um, I'm an editor for a UK publication called The Mallard. So if you find, you can find me on there. Um, I was also interviewed by Sky News, but this was a couple of years ago. So if you search my name on YouTube, possibly come up. I tend to write more about American politics and history because it's more of my interest. There you will find my views on British and other countries. I'm hoping to write a British version of this article for quotes like from Margaret Thatcher, Teddy Blair and Nigel Farage, to name a few. Yep. So hopefully continue reading my work. And it was a pleasure to be on here. I'll go out on a limb and say there may be a Churchill quote somewhere in there, just since we spent a oh, long time I quoting I, him. I started writing it. I think it's about five on then. I was like, <laughs> I might as well get him out of the way because he's done all the good ones. Yeah, I, um, I, there's other British people, but he sure looms large. We will definitely have you back, especially with some of the fun you alluded to our, our friend Boris Johnson having a rough go of it. So I'm sure we're <laughs> going to be talking to our British friends a lot in the coming year. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. back to her tell them andrew donaldson so glad you're with us however you're listening or watching if it's on the youtube listening on all the podcasting platforms or on the big talker online streaming service we sure appreciate you uh do take the time to leave a comment and rating we sure appreciate it you really want to help us out uh take one of those links from whatever platform you're watching or listening on and send that out to your friends let them know that our little program is worth following you also follow us on social media um i'm at four for the fire on the twitter you see it down here on the tag uh her at her tell show also on the twitter you want to email us 
herdtellshow at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if you leave a comment, we will try to reply to you. Uh, keep your bearing. Be nice. Uh, tell us what you think. Ask questions, whatever you have. Might even put it on the show. And but one way or the other, we will engage with you and get back to you because we appreciate you. We only do this as long as you keep watching and listening. And the response you all give us is great, and we greatly appreciate it. Let's have a good story to end up today. Uh, over the weekend, um, back on the December Christmas Eve out in Los Angeles on the West Coast, uh, something really cool happened. Arnold Schwarzenegger, everybody knows him as an action star. He was also the governor of California for a while. Uh, did a really cool thing reading from uh, Fox 11 in Los Angeles. I'm really ecstatic. To me, this is the greatest Christmas gift. That's how Arnold Schwarzenegger described his emotions while standing inside a tiny home on the campus of the Veterans Affairs Center in West Los Angeles. California's 38th governor donated $250,000 to help nonprofit Village for Vets purchase 25 homes. They now house, house retired service members who had been living on the streets. It's been a lifesaver for me, said veteran Bruce Henry Cooper. He personally thanks Schwarzenegger. He has not forgotten us and not forgotten anybody, said Cooper. Fox 11 anchor and the issue is host Alex, excuse me, Alex Michelson joined Schwarzenegger for an exclusive tour and interview on what was a rainy day in Los Angeles. It proves the point, Schwarzenegger said, gesturing at the rain. They are going through not just sunshine and wonderful weather. Rob Reynolds of AmVets agreed. He's a longtime advocate for the vets in West Los Angeles, quoting, they have electricity, they have heating and air conditioning. It helps bring a little bit of pride back. Patrick Schwarzenegger joins his father for the visit. He passed out his Nourish Bars mosh at a barbecue event to celebrate the vets and said, we owe everything to our veterans. They sacrificed their lives, their families, their livelihoods for us and our freedom. He continued, it's the holidays. Anything we can do to make other people's week a little better and happier, it's all good. Arnold is grateful for the chance to give back. He said, I, it makes me feel good. I can give something back to this country that has given everything to me. And there's a cool little video. These are little um, container-sized tiny houses. They have a bed. They have a storage area, but it gets you out of, it gets you out of the street. What happened was the street. Uh, the side of the street down along the side of the West LA Veterans Affairs Center had become a tent city. Uh, the homeless veterans were just living on the streets. Uh, various officials had seen it. It started getting attention. So they decided they were going to put in these tiny homes, these little container homes, which, you know, it's a hardened shelter. It kind of reminds me of what we stayed in in Iraq on a couple of deployments. It's perfectly fine. You sleep. It beats being in a tent on the street and it gives you a little bit of dignity. And they put this village together and Schwarzenegger came in and paid for 25 of them out of his own pocket, which is a good start for a lot of these people. They came in, they got the tents off the street. Uh, so the city wins, the vets get a better place to live. It's a win-win and it's a great Christmas story as we uh, come off our Christmas hangover on this Monday after Christmas. That'll do it for her tell. I'm Andrew Donaldson. So glad you joined us. Glad you survived your holiday weekend. Hope you got some joy out of it. Uh, we got four more work days in 2021. We're going to try to finish strong with the program. Got some great guests coming up. We're going to keep trying to turn down the news cycle noise on what's going on out there so we can get to the information we need, finish off 2021, and we're excited about what we're going to do here together in 2022. Uh, we're friends and family. I joke about that because I had a uh, editor when I first started writing tell me that nobody would ever read my writing outside of friends and family. 
well, apparently we got a lot of friends and family because we keep growing and doing more and more. And that's all thanks to you. So uh, keep joining us again tomorrow as we finish off 2021. Uh, We're sure glad that you're with us and we appreciate you greatly for listening and watching Herd Tell. Wherever you and yours are across the street or around the world, we hope you're well. We hope you're well fed. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Y'all take care. All the music on Her Tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.